You are listening to John DeYard's Life Spa, your premier source for health news in Ayurveda, where modern science meets ancient wisdom. Hi, my name is Dr. John DeYard and welcome to LifeSpa.com. And today I want to talk about our two yoga journal Ayurvedic video courses. In the last couple of years, I created, uh, along with Kripalo's Larissa Hall Carlson and myself and Yoga Journal, we put together two amazing Ayurvedic courses. Ayurveda 101 and Ayurveda 201. Ayurveda 101 is really all about how to live in sync with the natural cycles, the rhythms of nature. You know, we did this course a couple of years ago, and after we wrote the course, circadian medicine literally won the Nobel Prize. So this is something that's really important, understanding how we need to live in sync with the circadian rhythms of nature. This is Ayurveda 101. Ayurveda 101 is learning how to eat, sleep, exercise, how to live a lifestyle, a seasonal routine, a daily routine in sync with the natural cycles. In our Yoga Journal course, we put together not only how to eat, sleep, exercise, and sync with the rhythms, daily and seasonal rhythms, but also we gave you yoga, breathing, and meditation techniques for each season. Of course, in Ayurveda, there's sort of three major seasons, and three more minor seasons, making up a total of six seasons. So we're gonna talk about just the three. So in the Ayurveda 101 course, what you get is um, three season approach to yoga, breathing, meditation, lifestyle, and all that specific to your individual constitution or body type. So it's like super tailored to your individual needs, which I think is amazing and quite frankly, unprecedented. There are not any other yoga training programs that tie your exercise, your diet, your, your daily and seasonal routines, and your yoga, breathing, and meditation to the quality and the, and the changing uh, of the energetics of each season. So we now know, right, based on a lot of emerging science, that the microbes inside of us change, or are supposed to change anyway, from one season to the next. We know the microbes in the soil change from one season to the next. Circadian medicine, now Nobel Prize winning science, suggests that, that there will be doctor, medical doctor specialties where the doctors will tell you how to live in sync with the natural rhythms. We have biological circadian clocks in every cell of our body. They turn on and they turn off in sync with the natural rhythms. We have disconnected ourselves from those rhythms and we've lost our connection to the natural rhythm. So instead of going downstream with the current of life, we oftentimes feel like we're plowing against the grain, against the current, feeling exhausted at the end of the day, feeling you know tired at the end of the week. We have to recover on the weekends. Life has become a struggle for most people and that's causing people to feel stressed, worn out, exhausted, depleted. And life in nature was never a struggle. I mean, sure, you get chased by a bear or a lion, whatever, in the ancient times once in a while, but if you go for a walk in nature anywhere on the planet, it, generally speaking, it's extremely peaceful. It's extremely calming. In fact, n nature walking, you know, nature therapy, forest bathing, uh, has been well documented to elicit a host of health benefits. And that's allowing us to entrain our circadian clock with the rhythms of nature. Studies have shown that when people 
they took people I hear live in Boulder, Colorado, and they took a bunch of healthy, so-called healthy Boulder types, and they measured their circadian clock, and they were completely out of whack. Their circadian clock was producing melatonin, which is a sleep hormone in the middle of the day. They're producing cortisol at night. It was completely a mess, and these were sort of healthy people. Now, you took them into the mountains, and they took all their, uh, their clocks and, and, and phones and, and lights and electricity and Wi-Fi. All that was gone, and within one week, they 100% reset their circadian clock. And then they did another group of healthy boulderites, and they took them for a weekend, and they reset their circadian clock 67%, which is pretty good for just a weekend. So what I write about in my articles is how you can do a, um, a, a no artificial light weekend. Go off the grid for a weekend in your own home. Don't turn any lights on. Use candles. It's sort of an orange light. doesn't mess with your circadian rhythms uh, as much. Um, and you can get a whole host of benefits by just getting reset. So to take that concept further, we took, we took uh, Ayurveda, yoga, Ayurveda and yoga, and put together specific yoga postures, breathing postures, meditation postures, lifestyle you know, techniques for each season. The winter is a cold and dry, uh, cold season where we, 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 we talk about in Ayurveda that vata air is predominant and makes you cold. And the antidote, nature's antidote for that is in the harvest, nuts and seeds, oily foods to calm down the vata, right? So there's, I, there's, there's not only you know, foods you can eat, there's exercises you can do, there's different types of yoga you can do, breathing techniques, meditation techniques, all change because you're in winter. Now, if you're a body type of winter, then you have a lot of winter vata in your body type, and you're in the winter season, and you live in like Wisconsin, you know, and you're eating a lot of cold ice cream and cold foods, which are very vata aggravating, you just stacked a bunch of vata, you create some real problems, right? So that's what the course sort of does. It takes your lifestyle, daily routine, yoga, breathing, meditation, and puts it all together for that season. And then we give you tips to overlay your individual constitution. It's super cool, right? And then comes springtime, which is the next season. We have winter, then spring. Spring is, is a is very wet, muddy, rainy time of the year in nature's antidote to the kapha qualities. Think kapha means cough. Kapha quality is heavy, earthy, like you see in the spring, wet and rainy. And nature's harvesting leafy greens and dandelion roots and sprouts and berries and things that are very light and austere to antidote the heaviness and the wet of nature in the spring. So again, in the spring, you get yoga, breathing, and meditation techniques that lighten the body, energize the body during that kapha time of the year in the spring. Come summer and a hot season, you're a hot body type, eating hot spicy food, you stack a whole bunch of heat, you're doing a lot of hot exercise or hot yoga in the, in the, in the middle of the summer, in the middle of the hot summer day, you, have a, you could easily overheat yourself. And therefore, we give you strategies, foods, diet, exercise to, to, that are harvested in that season. And you amp those up based on the season you're in, where you live on the planet, and also your individual constitution. So all that comes into play. And then you learn how to do cooling yoga, breathing, meditation techniques to calm you down, right? How cool is that? Now, because not only not is not Ayurveda 101, it is now Nobel Prize winning science. And they're suggesting that there will be medical specialties to teach people how to do exactly what we're talking about in Ayurveda 101. I'm really, really amazed and so proud that we did this with, with uh, Kripalu's 
she's the director of the was the director of the dean of the Ayurvedic uh, College there in Kripalu in Massachusetts. She was also the director, I think, of the yoga teacher training program. She's a dear friend of mine. She does all the yoga in the course and does an amazing job teaching that. And we teamed up, and I've been teaching with her for a couple of decades. So she's, you know, we work together really, really well. And we did this course called Ayurveda 101. I think it's a critically important understanding to understand how to do yoga and Ayurveda in sync with circadian medicines. It's the key, the foundation to having that, that life going downstream with the current versus going upstream against the grain, exhausted at the end of every day, exhausted at the end of every week, needing caffeine and stimulants to get you through the day because you're, you don't have enough energy on your own. You gotta borrow from Peter with caffeine to, to get you the energy you need to make it through the day. This is going to deplete you over time. And what we teach you in yoga in Ayurveda in sync with the cycles is how to go downstream with the current, right? And, and it's effortless. Life can become effortless. Uh, you know, I used to talk about, you know, when, you know, years ago when I first started meditating, back when I was 17, I learned how to meditate. And, uh, and I used it in my 20s as a stress reduction technique. I'll beat myself up, work real hard, go to school, and I would come home and just meditate. And I was like a stress reduction technique, and I would sleep and feel really groggy in my sleep, and I thought that was really good. And then I learned that was probably not so good. In fact, that when you, when you meditate, you should maintain a level of restful alertness, right? You should be alert uh, and resting at the same time. Well, I wasn't that way. I was using my meditation as a, as, a, as a deep rest on demand to shovel out a whole bunch of stress and exhaustion that I had, but I wasn't actually, you know, using the meditation as a, as a, uh, a self-awareness enhancement technique to develop to have a spiritual practice along with the meditation. It wasn't, it was just stress reduction. So in my, and I'll tell you a quick story about this and then I wanna get into Ayurveda 201. But I'll tell you this quick story uh, about uh, Ayurveda 101. I was, uh, when I was in school, I was training for an Ironman and I was studying Ayurveda in the beginning, since the 1980. And uh, I was uh, dabbling in Ayurveda and wanting to study it. I went to a lecture. Uh, after the lecture about Ayurveda, I went to this Indian man and I asked him um, if, uh, he, if it was okay, based on Ayurvedic principles, to do an Ironman triathlon. And he said, what is that? This is 1980, no one even knew what an Ironman was back then. And I said, well, it's a two and a half mile swim and a 112 mile bicycle ride and 26 mile run on marathon. And he looked at me and he said, why do you do that? And I said, I didn't really have an answer for him. I didn't really ever ask myself that question. So I was like, and he looked at me and he says, do you meditate? Like if you were anything, you know, spiritually minded, you, of course you would meditate and you would never do that other thing. And I said, yes, I do. In fact, meditate, I meditate, you know, regularly. And he goes, do you sleep while you meditate? And I was like, yes, absolutely. I get the deepest sleep. I meditate, I kind of feel very refreshed afterwards. It's great. He looked at me like I was sort of a jerk and said, when you meditate, you're supposed to maintain a level of restful alertness. You're supposed to be resting and alert at the same time. I was not alert. I was completely conked out, probably snoring and all kinds of things. 
And he, so I looked at him and I said, so does that mean that if I can meditate and not fall asleep, I can do all this exercise? And he said, yeah, I'm not sure he really got what I was saying, but he definitely said yes. And I was like, okay, I'm in. So I started meditating more and meditating more and training less because the more I trained, the more I was sleeping in my meditation. So I literally started basing my, all my training, yo, uh, uh, bike riding and swimming and running based on if I could maintain restful alertness. Well, it wasn't going great. So I started going on weekend meditation courses. I went on like two of those and that was sort of helping a little bit. Then I went on a two week meditation course. I did nothing but meditate and did yoga and breathing and no exercise at all. I think I took one run in the woods. I sort of snuck one in. And um, I came back from that course and I was lit up. I gotta tell you, and I wrote a book called Body, Body, and Sport because of that experience. We did breathing, I did brainwave research on nose of breathing versus mouth breathing, everything that I experienced from this because I was so, so blown away by how when I rested and I meditated, I was able to perform so much better. So I went from being sort of a lousy, mediocre triathlete to literally, you know, placing in the top 10 in many events, sometimes even getting a medal. Um, so I was able to compete at a very high level and all of my friends who I trained with and treated because I was in chiropractic college, they all thought I was doing steroids. Uh, a lot of them started, going medit started meditating uh, right after that because I say, no, I'm not doing steroids. I didn't get a new bike, nothing happened. I just chilled out. So that's the difference between going upstream against the current or going downstream. And how do you go downstream? You got to pull back the bow. We use this analogy in Ayurveda 201 a lot. You got to pull back the bow, establish being, become still, go into nature. It's a great reset of the calm, right? Um, De-stress yourself. Allow yourself to unravel all the fatigue that we piled on in our body over all these years. It's a big deal. And you don't know, I'm telling you, you don't know how exhausted you are. Maybe you do, but you don't realize how many layers of exhaustion have piled on and how the body has to adapt and compensate for many, many years to keep the motor running, to keep you energized and keep you healthy. And it just, just over time breaks you down. And I feel so blessed in my life to have learned that lesson early so I didn't kill myself doing triathlons and I was able to perform at a high level with, by doing less work. But I also really felt like it was a model for my life, how to handle a lot of stress from a calm place, like taking that yoga, breathing, and meditation into my day. So instead of, and I use the analogy of a hurricane a lot, like a hurricane has winds spinning around it. Most of us live in those winds, dodging refrigerators and washing machines and crazy things, and that's dangerous, right? Because you're just basically trying to manage stress in the world of stress. But in the middle, there's an eye, a calm. And if you can start to establish being, this is an Ayurvedic understanding, establish the calm, still your mind, pull back the bow, and then shoot from that, act from that place of deep stillness and calm. Man, that in Ayurveda is a transformational, karmic-breaking, emotional pattern-breaking action. And that is why Ayurveda 201 was such an important next step when Yoga Journal came and asked us to do another course, I was like, it has to be Ayurveda 201, Ayurvedic psychology. 
And you might think logically, like, why Ayurvedic psychology? Like, why is Ayurvedic psychology after Ayurvedic circadian medicine, living in yoga and breathing and all that in sync with the rhythms? That makes sense. That is clearly no doubt Ayurveda 101. No one would dispute that. But Ayurveda 201, you might think, well, what, maybe it's, you know, some physical imbalance because Ayurveda is about, you know, your physical health. So maybe it would be about bringing your body back into balance. And there's a lot of value there. And that's something that I think is really important. But Ayurveda says clearly that the cause of disease is what's called pragya prad, which means the mistake of the intellect, which means your mind, makes this crazy decision to start to think of it as separate from the whole. So we start to function um, as a bunch of individual parts as opposed to the sum of the whole. And we all know that the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And Ayurveda talked about, don't get involved in the parts, keep this thing together as a whole. And that is what happens when we start to create a mindset that is based on a need for approval only and solely from the outside world and we separate ourselves. So instead of being deeply content as a whole human being, we find that we're satisfied only from the outside world. I think we all would agree that it's this crazy mind of ours that drives stress into our physiology in, 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 a, in a handful of newly understood ways that takes out our health, our digestion, our mood, our sleep. We all know it's stress and we all know it comes in through our head, right? And that stress overwhelms us. And that stress is Ayurvedic psychology. What's really interesting now is that the Ayurvedic psychology is tied to physiology. We know that the, that the mind and the body are sort of connected in many ways, but they're connected by microbiology. We know that the gut bugs have a bi-directional pathway that goes from your gut to your brain, from your brain to your gut, right? So it's a bi-directional pathway that if you are super stressed out and under a lot of stress, that stress is perceived literally by the microbes in your gut. They feel everything. They send a message to your brain. They say, we're freaking out down here. And the brain sends a message to everybody to push the fight or flight button, which is a which is a stress, fight or flight, emergency response. And we can do that 26,000 breaths per day in a subtle way that slowly burns and drains and depletes you over time because there's this little inner emergency rev that's going on. And, as, and, and we handle that by creating mental and emotional protective patterns of behavior. We sort of become another person. We become the version of us that protects us from all that stress. So if you have a situation in your family, a family stressor or a parental stressor or some type of stressor, our microbes feel that. They send a message to the brain. The brain creates a new version of ourselves, a personality that we can project on the screen that returns the investment of you feeling safe and secure. And that is, a, is an energetic, well-understood in Western medicine, 
through Candace Pert's work, The Molecules of Emotion, that says these molecules are real and they store in our muscle and our fat. It's also understood thousands of years ago in Ayurvedic medicine as what's called mental ama, and that ama, emotional constrictions, lodge in the muscle and the fat, and they remotely make you think and do the same dumb stuff again and again and again and again, which is why when we go home for the holidays, right, we oftentimes start acting like a four-year-old again. Our parents trigger us, our relatives trigger us. We're like, ah, like those, that happens because when you were younger, as part of your armor, as part of the protective personality that you had to create, which isn't good or bad, it's perfection. You created a version of you that got you to navigate your childhood. And now we're still projecting that childlike protective pattern on the screen as adults, which leaves us what? Leaves us locked into the same repetitive pattern, right? So this is why Ayurvedic psychology is so important, to break those patterns. In one study, they found that, I think it was sort of an amazing study, it was a handful of them, and there may be just some dispute on this study in terms of the accuracy, but there are a handful of studies that suggest that 95% of the things that we think and say and do as adults come from impressions that we experience in the first six years of life. So that means that in the first six years of life, we experience a lot of impressions or microbes. This is how it works. They feel everything. If you took the microbes and put a, put a, a can of yogurt on the counter and started to yell and scream, those microbes would change based on you yelling and screaming. If you take you and stick it next to a person who's super stressed out, the bugs inside of you will change and become super stressed out. If I took a stressed out person and took the microbes out of that person and stuck it in the microbes in the healthy, non-stressed out person, they would become either depressed or anxious depending on what the stressed out person was, right? It is now hard science that those bugs, they affect our mood. We know that, right? So when in the first six years of life, depending on what those impressions are, that can create a mindset, patterns of behavior, personality traits that you now project on the screen as part of your protective safety. But it's sort of, it, it, it's also based on an underlying desire, need, instinct for young children to want and need the approval of mom and dad. Because if I grew up when I was a toddler and I didn't care what mom and dad thought of me and they didn't care what I did, pretty good chance I would have wandered into the jungle, maybe got eaten by a lion or jumped off, fell off a cliff or something bad could happen. But children are hardwired. Some physiologists say they're cute even because that'll make the parents sort of wanna hang out with them be attracted to them. So parents have this instinct to watch over the children and children have this instinct to want to manipulate their parents to give them attention. And that attention is part of their protection. So we have this innate instinct ability to need the approval and the attention of mom and dad so we feel safe, we can be safe and secure and keep the species alive. So we then become sort of this, this, this kid who gets tuned in very early in life that that attention feels really, really good. You know, candy, sugar, sweets, toys, 
the tension, cuddling, all of it feels really, really good. It makes me feel safe and secure. So I'm, I'm going to want that, manipulate my environment for that more and more and more. There was a study done where they found that when they gave a, a young infant, a group of people walked into the hospital room, strangers, and one of them had a little bit of sugar and gave the baby a little bit of sweet. And then um, though all the people walked out, then a couple of days later, the same group of people came into the room and the baby completely scanned the room and locked in on the sugar deliverer and wouldn't take the ba baby wouldn't take its eyes off that one person who delivered the sugar a couple of days ago. It is hardwired the reward chemistry. It's part of our survival. I want mom and dad, I want the reward, which is attention from mom and dad, that makes me safe and secure, right? So that is kind of how we go. In Ayurvedic medicine, we talk about that as being a sattvic person, which is someone who's deeply content, doesn't need anything from the outside world, completely content within. Once you realize that you can get stimulated by the outside world and get, in, and get attention from the outside world, like a baby wanting candy or toys or you know, computers or screen time, all this is amping up the reward centers, the dopamine reward chemistry. And we become addicted to that very, very quickly and very, very easily. And this is something that uh, our culture, in a capitalistic way, figured out that if I can give you vaping with nicotine or cigarettes or candy or, you I mean, the shopping or, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. If you can do all those things, then you can clearly deliver a reward chemistry, which people will become addicted to and then beg, borrow and steal to get more of that. And that's the culture we live in. And historically, traditional cultures knew that was the nature and they created what are called rites of passage where kids would be forced to, uh, you know, sever the relationship between needing love and approval from mom and dad and being the love and, and then giving the love and approval to their own children, like a mama, uh, you know, um, uh, leopard would, would raise and take care of their kids and babies and their cubs. And at one point, mama goes, okay, you're old enough to be on your own. I'm going north, you're going south, you're on your own. And that's where the baby now has to stop needing mom and dad's approval and attention and do them. So this is what Ayurveda calls becoming conscious. And this is what Ayurveda 201 is all about. Ayurveda 201 is about learning the Ayurvedic psychology steps of self-inquiry and critical analysis and uh, of becoming more self-aware so you can see more clearly the truth of you, you know, how it is when you are really letting the, the very delicate petals of your flower open and letting who you are out underneath and beyond the armor. And when you're acting and reacting to the environment based on getting approval or attention from the outside world, right? So there's two ways that we can, we can roll, right? We can roll by getting really good at manipulating the outside world and giving us the stimulation we need from the outside with the shopping or manipulating our mom and dad, manipulating our partners. I mean, babies manipulate because 
we never stopped doing it. We never became conscious. The impressions we had from the first six years of our life are still affecting 95% of the things we think and say and do as adults. So we have never become conscious. And Ayurveda 201 is about teaching us how to become conscious with Ayurvedic strategies of yoga, breathing and meditation specifically designed to unwrap the mental and emotional ama molecules of emotion that keep us safe and secure but lock us in repetitive patterns of behavior that we had to create as a young child that we projected on the screen as adults to keep us safe and secure which is fine as a child but you may all notice as adults it sort of like stops working like we don't really um we don't feel that deep level of contentment. We start to build up angst, anxiety. We always feel unfulfilled, somehow unsatisfied in our lives. So we go to stimulants like coffee or, or maybe marijuana is now legal. And we do things to numb ourselves. And that, unfortunately, is us going further into the outside world to try to get satisfied from something outside of us. And this is, a, in my mind, a sad state of affairs, which is why I think Ayurveda and yoga are so critical. The philosophies are so critical because saying, you know, how far can this pendulum can continue to swing to get us somehow satisfied from the outside world? Doesn't it have to swing back so we can access who we are, pull back that bow, establish being in silence and start acting from the eye of the storm, the bigger the eye, the bigger the calm, the more established in being you are, the more you function from that deep place of consciousness. And that deep place of consciousness is, it pervades everything. So take a moment, think about quantum physics for a second, which is a, a beautiful map for Vedic science. Vedic science and quantum physics are, are becoming sort of, you know, very aligned with a lot of the with a lot of the new understandings in quantum physics, which suggest that everything in our world comes from a, a field. And if you take these particles and you take dropping down to more subtle and subtle levels, you find out that, that they're all functioning as fluctuations or frequencies of electromagnetic fields. They now know and pretty much agree, and Max Planck, the founder of quantum physics, Einstein, all these guys in the 1930s all suggested that that field was intelligent or informed or conscious. And the newest thinking is that we are not consciousness. We tap into a field of consciousness, and we are sort of like antennas for this consciousness field, this informed electromagnetic field that's everywhere. So Ayurveda said, remember, that the cause of disease was pragya prad, the mistake of the intellect, where the mind started thinking of itself as separate from the whole. Well, what is the whole in a Vedic science, quantum physics, yoga, Ayurveda way? The whole is clearly the field of informed electromagnetic frequencies that predate the Big Bang, even according to quantum physics. So they were there before space and time. Wrap your head around that. So that means that the field of informed intelligence, some people call that God, 
was there before the Big Bang, and the Big Bang is when space and time started, according to all the science, right? So this is before that. So that leaves a whole nother of understanding of what was before that. And I've written some articles about that that's very interesting, and Vedic science even talked about that, like as talking about the Akashic fields and Akashic records and things like that, that all this information, uploading information from our brain to that field of consciousness and downloading information from that field of consciousness into our brain is how we evolve and how, yes, the field of consciousness, the universe evolves. Physicists believe that the universe is in fact evolving and it evolves based on input. It's no different than the microcosm of the microbes in your gut. Your microbes in your gut know and, f not know, but they feel everything. If you stress them out, they feel it. It's called gut feelings. And it's real and scientifically verifiable, and I've written a ton about the science behind that. Your gut bugs feel everything. When they're out in the world, on the plants and the flowers, you spray a, you spray a, spray a pesticide on it, mutate that bug on the lettuce that you're eating, that mutated genetic inform information will horizontally transfer that genetic material to the core bugs in your gut, who will horizontally transfer that genetic material to your genetic code to tell your genetic code to get ready because there's some weird spray out there that take, could take us out, so get ready to keep the species alive. And, that, and the bugs are vested in keeping us alive because we're the hosts for them, right? It's not different than this, in a macrocosm sense, the field of informed electromagnetic frequencies, let's call it consciousness, which means it's awake, it's alert. And this is well understood. Many physicists believe now that, it's, that this field is informed, that it's intelligent, that it can't not be. There's been so many studies done on, the, on whether the universe is just some random explosion from the Big Bang and everything just happened randomly. And the scientists say, it's so not possible for things to be random. For example, they said if, if everything was just random, it would be sort of like a, like a, a windstorm blasting through a junkyard and that windstorm assembling a perfectly running airplane that you can get in and fly. That is how impossible it is for things to be random. And that's science based on mathematics of how impossible it would be for this creative world we live in to be random. It's not random. All the physicists, most of them believe, I actually think most realize there's some intelligence in the organizing power of the universe. Vedic science talked about that as consciousness which pervades everything and that's the whole. So the pragya pra, the mistake of the intellect, is when we start thinking of ourselves as separate from the whole. How do we do that? When we start going outside of ourselves to get attention and approval and satisfaction from others, as opposed to going within, finding that inner peace and calm, and then shooting and taking action from that inner place of composure and calm, right? Think about pulling back a bow, and we use this analogy uh, in our Ayurveda 201 course, all the yoga and breathing and meditation techniques are designed based on this understanding. 
to pull back the bow and take action from that. But let's say you pull back the bow, right? And you're moving the arrow around all crazy like this. Where is that arrow going to land? I mean, you have no idea. I mean, the further it goes, the more exponentially distorted the flight of the arrow will be. And it's just not going to work good at all, right? But if you hold it still and you shoot the arrow from that place of composure and calm, it's perfect. It's a transformational, karmic-breaking, freeing action step because you're functioning from within you. And this is what we teach you how to do in Ayurveda 201. We teach you how to pull back the bow, establish your own being, become more self-aware of the patterns of behavior that you've been engaged in your whole life that are door number one, doing the same dumb thing again and again and again and again, that are facilitated pathways that you've gone down your whole life with four lanes, with lights on it. I mean, this is the one we've been driving on our whole life. And all of a sudden, you pull back the bow, you do yoga, breathing, meditation, go into nature, still yourself, become calm. You pull back, and all of a sudden, door number two appears. You're like, whoa, I have an option here. I have a choice. I don't have to do the same dumb thing again and again. I can now take an action step to free myself from those old patterns. And that is Ayurvedic psychology. Ayurveda is the technique in yoga or the physical techniques of yoga and Ayurveda to still the mind, to bring the physiology back into balance, to create an inner experience of calm Tie that with the subtle techniques of Ayurveda and yoga, yoga, breathing, meditation, to pull back the bow. And all of a sudden, you see a new option for you in terms of engaging in behaviors that once were automatic reactivity, those molecules of emotion, the mental ama that you stored in your fat and your muscle, that you recorded stress responses many, many, many years ago that, are re that you are instantly reacting to in the, t in the heat of battle and stressful part of your life. You, those stress responses to those things are pre-recorded. They're automatic. A lot of times they're unconscious. They're out of your mouth before you even know it. You're in, energetically charged by that stressor before you even have a chance. Ayurveda is saying, wait a minute, let's pull back that bow. Let's become more self-aware so I can see that stress coming down the pike. I give myself the opportunity to see that I have a choice here to respond, not based on manipulating the environment or reacting to the environment by actually doing me. And how do you do me? Well, that's going to be what we teach you in Ayurveda 201, but a lot of it is special, specific yoga, breathing, and meditation, and a lot of it is... Um, uh, the Ayurvedic psychology, self-inquiry, critical analysis techniques that we take you down this journey. And the road that we drive down on this course, in my mind, is as profound and as, in a way, revolutionary as Ayurveda 201, teaching you yoga, breathing, and meditation, and lifestyle and diet and routine and exercise, syncing up with Nobel Prize winning cycles, seasonal daily cycles. That's so critical to get into rhythm, right? The rhythm gives you silence and the silence gives you awareness and the awareness gives you choice and then you can choose. That's how it works. Then you have to engage some mental self-inquiry to sometimes discern what's you and what's not you. When are you engaging in behavior from your truth and when you are engaging from getting you know, manipulating the outside world to give you a sense 
a false sense of satisfaction. So how we do it is we have two roadmaps that we follow in Ayurveda 201. The first roadmap is a series of yoga, breathing, and meditation techniques that are tied to the mental doshas. In Ayurveda, there's three mental, emotional body types. Sattva, we mentioned a minute ago, is that ability to be peaceful and loving and content because this is who I am, it's my nature. The mind starts to reach out and as a young child and goes, ooh, there's candy and there's toys and there's stuff out there. And you start to activate the reward chemistry, dopamine system, and you start getting reward chemistry and you get more and more and more and more of that. You go into your life, you get a job, you get new cars, more stuff, more shopping, more this, more that. And then all of a sudden, you, you, at some point, you, you, you realize that it's just not doing it for me. I'm just, I keep pushing and driving up this hill. I'm exhausted at the end of the day and I'm never really feeling satisfied. And the, the, the overstimulation to get us that more reward chemistry is called rajasic behavior, overstimulated behavior, getting all your attention and approval and stimulation and satisfaction from the outside world. And then when the nervous system becomes so burnt out, it goes into what's called a tamasic protective cocoon where it protects itself from all the ups and downs and the high and lows. And we retreat and we withdraw and we oftentimes do drugs or alcohol. Marijuana is a great tamasic drug. It, it just makes you chill out. You don't feel anything. But that's the problem is that you don't feel anything. It kills pain. It was legalized initially because it stopped pain. It stopped you from feeling. And Ayurveda says we get the pain the pain, the old Ayurvedic saying, is directly across from the bliss, the reason for your, uh, your why we're here. So pain and the attention, the pain and, and the fear are directly across from the bliss. And the reason for the pain and the fear is to get your attention. So you can go to it and then go through it. Access who you truly are, pull back the bow, and let who you are out. So to do things that numb us and make us feel dull or numb or don't feel our pain or, you know, or just kind of soften the blow can be medicine for sure, but they can also be uh, somewhat addicted because it's a lot easier to just stay in this place where it feels really good and not go through that pain and then finally you know, take the risk to take your armor off completely and let who you truly are out to be more delicate and more vulnerable and more sensitive and absolutely most powerful. Not because power is cool, because that's who we are. When we let who we are out, it's big, right? And you can't hide that. But a lot of us, kind of part of our mental patterns of protective behavior is to hide that, right? That's what we do. So the first roadmap in Ayurveda 201 is to guide you with yoga, breathing, exercise, and self-inquiry techniques to go from a tamasic state of mind to a rajasic state of mind to a sattvic state of mind where you're content for no reason because that's who you are. So that's the roadmap that we carry you through, which is really, really cool. And we, take, we, and we give you a questionnaire and find out where are you more tamasic and where are you more rajasic and where can, how can we guide you through you know, that unraveling of the armor, right? And be free to be you. So cool. The second roadmap we do, it's a six week course. Each week we take you through one of the koshas, the energetic sheaths in Ayurveda. And the outermost dense sheath that we have 
in this understanding is the body sheath, the anamaya kosha. So in week one, we purify that with yoga, breathing, meditation, and herbs and techniques to clean out the body and bring the body back into balance, right? And then in week two, we do the next sheath going in because the most inner sheath is your bliss sheath. And the goal is to get all these sheaths purified, balanced, so the bliss can, like the sun, shine through all of you, all the physical and energetic parts of you, and you can feel uh, safe enough to let who you truly are out, right? So week, week one, we purify the body. Week two, we purify the pranamaya kosha with yoga, breathing, breathing techniques, and herbs for that. And then week three, we go deep into the mind, the mind, the manomaya kosha. We unravel that. And then the, the, the junction between the mind and the wisdom or intellectual sheath is what's called the great barrier sheath. It's the wall that we put up to make sure nobody hurts us ever again. And that's where we create that personality of protection we talked about. So we spend a lot of time kind of chipping away at the junction between the monomaya, your mind and emotions, and your intellectual sheath, which is your discernment. And that's your kind of your last safety valve of protection, sort of like the petals of a flower that open and close in stressful times. And then finally, we dip into what's called the Anandamaya Kosha, which is your bliss sheath. And uh, this is not Anandamide, which is in chocolate. You can get it that way too, I guess. Uh, not really, because that's just a name they gave for the chemical in chocolate that makes you feel blissful. But there's another kind of bliss that's in, in fact yours. It's who you are. And all we do is cover it up and layer it and Ayurveda and yoga are just in this whole course of Ayurveda 201 is just to unveil the truth of you. Ayurveda, Ayur's life, Veda's truth, the real definition of Ayurveda is letting the truth of your life out. That's the beauty of yoga and Ayurveda, and that's the beauty of Ayurveda 201 is you go through these two, we guide you through these two roadmaps from tamasic to rajastic to sattvic behavior specific to where you might be a little out of whack in those departments. And then we guide you week by week through the koshas purifying the body kosha, anamaya kosha, then the pranamaya kosha, then the mind, emotional, monomaya kosha. And then we crack the egg of your protective great barrier sheath, which blocks us into these repetitive patterns. And then we start letting the, the wisdom sheath, the intellectual sheath, the sermon sheath, beginning to let some of the rays of conscious light out. And then underneath that is the bliss. And then we start to, you know, begin to experience awareness. And that's where door number two starts to pop up. And you're like, oh, I don't have to do that old protective thing anymore. I can do that thing that I was born to do. I can play the role in my movie that I was born to play. Instead of continue playing the same role, saying the same lines in the same movie again and again and again, it never really feels great. Doesn't get the greatest reviews, perhaps. And then all of a sudden you're like, wow, I have this incredible game of life that I can begin to play. And all of a sudden life becomes a game. You're not just stuck recovering from one stress after another. Life becomes a game. You start to feel inspired to take action, to free yourself from one stress after another. And there's these little pockets of stress are like fruit on a tree that ripen in sequence. You pick a fruit, you take action, go through that fear, and then you take another one, and another one, and 
and soon you become um, fearless. You know, you become free from letting uh, the outside world change you, manipulate you into being something that you're not. How many of us spend most of our time thinking about what other people will think? What will they say? Will they approve of me? Am I pretty enough, tall enough, smart enough? You know, what I dress, what I wear, how much energy goes into making sure the outside world likes us? And we go into much greater detail in the course, but the goal here is to realize that all of us, because we're still unconscious, are still doing the childlike thing, which is to do what? Want everyone else to like us. So I'm spending my life trying to get you guys to like me, right? But what I don't realize or I'm unconscious about is that everybody else is out there trying to get me to like them. So how much energy are we putting into this equation trying to get everybody to like and approve of us when they're only not thinking about you at all? They just want you to like them. And if you were to do you, which is love and bliss and joy, and there's an amazing amount of science to suggest that when you act on love and bliss and joy and giving and caring for others, all kinds of longevity, health benefits ensue. When you stress out, fight wars, battle up, armor up, bad things happen to our physiology. It would be very difficult to make the case to say that we were born to fight. We were born to love. We were born to come together as community because our, 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 our telomeres, on our chromosomes lengthen, linked to longevity. Oxytocin hormones surge, which are longevity hormones. Uh, the microbes, the good beneficial microbes surge in those times. So many longevity benefits happen when we give, when we take a risk to do that thing. So what we're doing is we're just taking you down that road so you can become more self-aware and see that yes, I can take the risk to let something more delicate, more vulnerable out and free yourself from old patterns of behavior and become conscious. I highly invite you to, to join us for Ayurveda 201. It's an incredible journey, like I said, um, to take and to really understand and begin to play the game of life because that's the game and it is a game. It's not a war, it's not a battle, it's a game. You get to play it for the rest of your life. And every time you play the game and you go through a fear, you feel so much better about yourself. And it's a journey. I've been playing that game for many, many years because we're all human. We're imperfect. That's why we're here. And it's a beautiful journey um, to keep uh, becoming more aware of fears and constrictions and emotional weird things that we've created in the name of safety and security and slowly chip away at letting them you out. Ayurveda 101, again, I highly encourage you because that's all about circadian rhythms. We, part of the whole deal is understanding how we connect with those cycles of nature and how important it is for us to have a, a, a base foundation of rhythm in sync with the cycles. This is Nobel Prize winning science. Ayurveda talked about that thousands of years ago. There's nothing more important than that as, as the first step to bring your body in balance. And I really do think the next step is get this crazy mind of ours, our head on straight and then start freeing us. So please check out Ayurveda 101. Ayurveda 201, Ayurvedic Psychology, Ayurveda 101, Living in Sync with the Cycles, Yoga, Breathing, and Meditation. All right, thanks for listening. Please check us out on our website at lifespot.com and you can get more information about uh, Ayurveda 101 and 201. I'm Dr. John Diard. Thanks for listening.